to help us get an overview of the Gospel of John, I'm going to show you a three-minute uh, little catch-up video that we've used in the past. And um, uh, now I'm blanking on the name, but we've used it with the Bible app before. So it'll look familiar to you. Um, and Jesse, I think, are we, is that loaded and ready to go? Okay. Three minutes. Read scripture. That's what it was called. Thank you. The Gospel according to Mark. It's one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed the story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus' actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now, Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in act one, everybody's blown away by Jesus and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In act two, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in act three, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the messianic king. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it unfolds. After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi, who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John, the Baptist, as that messenger. And then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus, and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives, and then by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. From here, Mark's given us a big block of stories showing us Jesus' power as he brings God's kingdom. He goes about healing people whose bodies are sick or broken or under the oppression of dark spiritual powers. And Jesus even does something that for Jewish people, only God has the right to do. He forgives people's sins. And Jesus' actions here produce lots of different responses. So some people follow him and become his disciples. Other people don't know what to think and still others reject him completely, especially Israel's leaders who accuse him of blaspheming God and being empowered by evil. But Jesus Thank you, Jesse. So I want to remind you, um, one of the things that we've been talking about in our covenant community class is having habits in our lives that shape us to be more like Jesus. And um, so I want to just give different ways. You know, one of the, the, the ways we would say is just reading scripture. But an, an added way to do that is to use something like this. And it's a great tool um, 
Jesse, what's the title of it again? As, as far as the the YouTube website, it's not Read Scripture. Bible Project. Thank you, Tony. So if you just do a search for that, um, it's a great resource um, for you to use. My, uh, my glasses broke this week. And so one day this week, I walked out of the bedroom. I was studying a little bit and I walked out and I had these glasses on and everyone in my family just did what you did. They all started laughing at me. <laughs> and they're like, dad, what are you wearing? And, uh, I bought three pair of glasses when I needed new glasses, and I've lost one, broke one, and now I'm down to my Winston Churchill glasses. That They're like, Dad, just put those away and forever. So I'll get new ones this week. So if I pull out and you start laughing at me, just control yourself a little bit, and we'll keep studying. All right. This morning, we are looking at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's the, one, of the, one of the few stories that is found in, in every gospel. And so it's uh, somewhat familiar to us. Um, but this morning, our goal is to discover what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus through life-on-life life routines, through life-on-life life living. And so we learn in the gospel of Mark, it's a fast paced book that Jesus is teaching his disciples through a variety of ways. Sometimes he sits them down and says, I want to talk to you. And often it's just doing life together. And so this morning we get to the part where Jesus is going to um, minister to this large group of people. And he's going to teach the disciples some really important lessons about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and so our call, if we can put this into one, one big thought, our call is to walk with Jesus as his image bearers who overcome the brokenness of the world by trusting in the full work of Jesus Christ. And so as his disciples, as his followers, we are called to bear the image of Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives. Well, why should we listen to Jesus this morning? in this story that we've heard many times. Is there anything worth listening to that maybe we can um, grab a hold of in a, in a unique way? And um, one way that <clears throat> I thought about it this week was this, is that when you go to the doctor, one of the expectations or one of the hopes is that the doctor will be honest with you. We don't go to the, to the doctor and say, hey, please just, if there's any, any bad news, just don't tell me. Just, just give me the good news. Give me whatever is going well. I don't want to hear the bad part. We wouldn't say that. We would say, be nice to me. Be kind and gentle, but be honest. Be straightforward. I need the truth. And um, we're comfortable with that in our physical lives. And it can be a little bit harder, though, in our spiritual lives or in our private personal lives. But that's what Jesus is going to do for us this morning. He's going to give us the truth about the state of humanity. Another reason why we should listen this morning is because Jesus clearly provides hope for people. He provides honesty and he provides hope. And he points people to himself. He points people to God, his Father. 
And so this morning as we look at this passage, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see just three things. Number one is I want us to see what Jesus sees and I want us to do what Jesus calls us to do and I want us to trust that Jesus will empower us to do what he calls us to do. So to see what Jesus sees, <clears throat> to do what Jesus calls us to do, and to trust in the power of Jesus to do what he's called us to do. So here is the, the quick review. If you have your Bible, verse 30, it says this, the apostles returned to Jesus. That's from two weeks ago when he sends them out and says, you need to go out and be active and be involved in ministry. So they come back, they tell Jesus all that they had done and taught on their little mini missionary trip. Verse 31, he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate, desolate place and rest for a while. All right, so just a little sub point and context reminder that we all need rest. We all need a healthy routine of life. You need to have a part of your life that your life can be filled with, with the truth of God's word, with, <clears throat> with joy, with the reality of Jesus. So he's teaching them this. Here's the context. They've been busy, the disciples, and he's saying we need rest. And then he says, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so they're exhausted. They're dealing with people coming and going, and... Um, this is the context, the setting in, in which the, the lesson will be given. And so it's important to remember that. The busyness of life, the routine of life, people in your lives like we can all relate to, responsibilities that we all have. In fact, they were so busy they didn't have time to eat. So that's the context of what Jesus wants them to learn. Verse 32 says, And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so what we learned this morning is that Jesus sees people, he sees this crowd, and he's able to diagnose their need. Jesus sees the people, he sees the crowd, and he has compassion on them. The word is this, this deep internal feeling of sympathy, of understanding, of diagnosing the human condition. And so Jesus is able to look out and see this group of people and he's going to teach them an important lesson that when we look out and we see people that we have compassion on them. And we know as, as in the video, as we saw this morning, that sometimes people will resist what Jesus has to offer. And so as we think about this for a moment, one of the critiques that often comes up when we're talking about Jesus speaking to people and, and, and the authority of God's word and, and the message that Jesus has, we, we learn that a pushback that often occurs is the Bible is old and irrelevant. 
And you hear this all the time. In fact, one news article I read this week, the, the author wrote this. I can't help thinking that some of the Bible's teaching are irrelevant for modern day life. And I feel that it is time for Christianity to move on. That Christians should accept the Bible as a product of its time. In fact, one, one pastor, it's interesting, says this about the Bible. And the church will continue to be even more irrelevant if we quote letters from 2,000 years ago. And so there are attacks on the Bible from people outside the church. There are attacks on God's word from people within the church. And so what I want us to think about here for a moment is this. Is that people will say that because the Bible was written so long ago, that the words of Jesus are so old that they are irrelevant. And part of this has to do with the idea that we are in a time of massive change. That we live in a time when modern man needs modern solutions. We have new problems, we have new situations, and we need new solutions. We hear this all the time. Well, what needs to be clearly understood is that the Bible is talking about the core of what it means to be a human being. And that that never changes. That there are timeless truths that stand the test of time. <clears throat> what happens often is that people confuse timeless truths of humanity with the change of society. With changes related to efficiency or comfort. Of course we live in a time where there's been massive change. It is all around us. In fact, most of these changes that we experience in life today are related to comfort. And they make our lives better. Our family, my great-grandfather, I mentioned this once before, I believe, but my great-grandfather built a cabin in the 1950s up in Mammoth. And there's two sheds on the property. One is a little further down away from the house. And I asked my uncle, I said, what, what was that shed for? It was the outhouse. Just think about this for a moment. Just think how, of course we live in a massive time of change. But how many of us in the middle of the night have to wake up and go out to the outhouse to go to the bathroom? We have so many changes. Um, we have a, a Honda Odyssey. It has the best new invention that works so well with my wife and I. Heated seats. I can press a button. She can press her button. She can go high, low, medium, or turn it off. We live in a time, of course, where there's massive change. And it's almost always related to human comfort or human efficiency. Uh, most of you know that I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the things I used to enjoy, is, uh, we had a museum in our town. And one of the things I enjoyed looking at in the museum were these photos of old growth timber forests. Just these massive trees. And there'd be... Guys uh, sitting next to these trees with saws. Two guys and a saw, hand saw, 10, 12 feet long, cutting down these massive trees. This is from the 1800s. And then somewhere in the early 1900s, they developed the chainsaw. And now they have these, these mammoth machines where they come in with guys sitting in the machines, kind of like a backhoe machine, and he just comes and just chops down two, three, four, five trees at a time. So, of course, we live in a time where 
there's massive change happening all the time. But what happens is this. We have to remember that the core of who you are doesn't change. Think about this. We would never say that moms today love their babies more than their grandmothers did. Right? We would never say that. We would never say that human beings love more effectively today than they did a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. And so we need to be clear about this, that when the Bible says that Jesus looks out and see these, sees the people and he has compassion on them, he sees their deepest needs. And it's a need that something new will not provide. We live in a time that thrives and, and dwells on things that are new. We, we know this. The pressure to get new phones, new gadgets. It's a time of saying we need new things. Younger, newer, more pretty. And Jesus is saying this. I'm going to diagnose the human condition. That there's something deeper and more significant and more internal in you that is timeless and true. And that's what Jesus is going to talk to the people about. That the Bible, while it's an old and ancient document, it holds timeless truths that deal with the core issues of humanity. And so here's what Jesus says. He says he has compassion on them. He had this deep longing to know, to love, to understand them. And why? What was their diagnosis? What was the problem? He says because they were... They were um, like sheep without a shepherd. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so Jesus is saying this, that he understands that he has a deep longing within himself to show compassion and kindness to people. That the core truth of humanity at our deepest level is that we are all made in the image of God. And that we all have a longing to be connected to God. We all have a longing to be connected to other human beings. So Jesus looks out and he sees people who have decided to go their own way. People who have decided to live life independent of God. And it moves him to compassion. He looks out to the crowd and he sees people who are hurting, who are broken, who have fear, who have worry. He looks out and sees people who are hiding the true condition of their life. He looks out to people who are deceiving themselves. And the same thing applies to us today. That we are no different. That if Jesus were here today looking out on us, that he would have compassion, knowing that many of us struggle with things in life. We have parts of our lives that are controlled by fear, parts of our lives where we just hide the truth, where we carry secret sin, we deceive ourselves into thinking we're doing okay. But the reality is 
that we're not. And so I want us to be able to see what Jesus is showing and teaching his disciples. That we look out to the people in our lives and we look out with compassion. That we don't look out with judgment and a critical spirit. That we understand that people often go their own way in life. And it leads down a path of brokenness. Jesus, in another place, in in Matthew chapter 9, says this about the people. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The word harassed is also translated as weary and afflicted. And the word helpless is also translated as rejected. And so there's compassion for people. And I think what happens often is we look out and we see people in our lives and we become critical of them. We analyze them. We can see their problems. We're impatient with people. And I believe that Jesus is teaching his disciples right here on this grassy hillside. He's teaching them to be people of compassion, to see the needs that people have, to not be critical, to not be judgmental towards people. Well, what does Jesus do? What's interesting here in this passage is that Jesus sees the situation, he diagnoses it, and he offers the aid or the antidote is this. It says, he began to teach them many things. It's interesting to think about of all the things that Jesus would do to these people who he sees as sheep without a shepherd. Of all the things he decides to do, he believes that teaching them is what they need. He teaches them, he guides them in the truth of God's word. And he reminds them that all people need a shepherd. Now, the Gospel of Mark doesn't say what Jesus taught on, but my mind and my heart went here. You'll recognize this. Psalms 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And what we see here, what we learn is that God is the one taking initiative and caring for his people. That there is a gentleness, that there is an understanding. Jesus is showing us that through God's word, there is a message of hope and gentleness and understanding of the problems that people face. There's a side of the life of Jesus that we're seeing here that is one of empathy and understanding. When everything inside of us tends towards critical attitudes, self-righteous judgments, impatience, Jesus is showing us to look out and see people with compassion. Number two... Jesus says, teaches us to do what Jesus asks you to do. 
So Jesus looks out. He sees it, the situation. Verse 35 says this. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Now this is great. This is just the human solution to the problem. Hey, you've had your nice teaching time, Jesus. Send them away. This is exactly me. Like if you're at my house and it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I'm like, send you away. Go home. It's late. Time for us all to go to bed. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, not so fast, unfortunately. Verse 37. <laughs> but he answered them. Jesus answers them. You give them something to eat. Now this is so interesting. The disciples, that's us, we propose a solution. And Jesus says, no, no. You take responsibility. And um, there is an emphasis. You know, when you study languages, you can get nuanced emphasis on certain words. There is a clear nuanced emphasis in Greek on the word you. Jesus is teaching his disciples to take responsibility for the needs of people around them. Yesterday, Karen and I were on a short walk, and I think she said something like this. We all make excuses when it comes to caring for people. We all make excuses when it comes to caring for people. It is far easier to care for things. Listen, it's far easier to take care of this tent, this property, than it is to care for one another. It's far easier to take care of things. People are very hard to take care of. But we have to see just clearly there's a straightforward, simple truth that Jesus is teaching us. There's an imperative in this word. We are to take responsibility to care for people. Jesus is showing us that the disciples are to feed the people. That they are to take responsibility for them. Jesus asked them to do something that is impossible. Um, I have a quote I, I came across this week that I want to share with you. I think, I think we have it. <clears throat> it's from a Dick Lucas sermon. <clears throat> Quoting from a, <clears throat> excuse me, quoting from a commentary in 2 Corinthians. And he writes this. It is not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our task. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accept the tasks which, which we think we are adapted to our powers, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always in crisis. I'll say this. Our lives are always in crisis. There's like always crisis. Crisis, crisis moment. And there always will be. There will be difficulties, limitations, insoluble problems, lack of people, lack of money, menacing outlook, endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations. We are not only to do our work despite these things. They are precisely the conditions requisite for the doing of it. There's no perfect time. There's always going to be deficiencies or problems. 
And here's what's really interesting. So the disciples are thinking just like we think. And they say this. Jesus says, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And here's what they say. And they said to Jesus, shall we kind of like smart, smart aleck response here. This is, there's tones of this. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii, eight months worth of bread and give it to them? So the crowd is so large. There's so little food. Jesus, really, like eight, it would take me eight months of work to buy enough money to buy food, uh, earn enough money to buy food for them. And he says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And so here's, here's what Jesus is teaching them. That everyone is inadequate. All of us are inadequate to do the work that God has called us to do. And that's his point here. That Jesus is teaching his disciples that ministry is miracle work. That he calls us to invest, to care for people. And that when people's lives are being changed by the gospel, when people's lives are being changed by Jesus, it's supernatural work. I cannot change anyone's life. You can't change people's lives. Only the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's word can change people's lives. So how do we do this? Let me share with you, I think, just three or four simple things that are principles that we can learn here. And part of this is from a John Stott article I read this week. But number one is this. How do we do what Jesus calls us to do? Number one is this. That only the inadequate are adequate. Only the inadequate are adequate. This is an imp impossible task. So we cannot say, oh, I can't do that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm just not qualified. I can't do that. I can't. Of, of course you're not qualified. Of course. That's exactly why you're called to do it. This is what puts the power of God on display. When of course you can't do it. It's a miracle type ministry. The normal path, when the normal path of your life is transformed, that is the work of God in your life. If you just think about it for a moment, think about your own life. I'll think about my own life. Our lives before Christ are completely self-focused. We just care about ourselves. We care about how we're doing. And when Jesus transforms your heart and your life, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you live for him, he will change every area of your life. And he calls us to care for people knowing that you are inadequate for the task. Number two, Jesus is teaching his disciples that they need to be able to have a vision for the future of what life can look like. So here's what, what's, what's happening. Jesus sees the people. He has compassion for them. He understands the situation that they are in. And he has a clear grasp of what life could be like for these people so to have a vision of the future means this, that you have a dissatisfaction with what is. A dissatisfaction with what is. 
and you have a clear grasp of what could be. What could your life be like if you trust in Jesus? What could your life look like if you surrender every area of your life to him? What could be? What could happen? Here's one great example from the Old Testament. It's the life of Moses. The deep dissatisfaction that Moses had was that his people were slaves in Egypt. And he knew from his forefathers that God promised a new land. So here's Moses. He sees his people. They're enslaved. They're being treated unfairly. And he knows that God promised them a new place. And so he goes into action. He does bold moves knowing that he is inadequate. What is one of his primary inadequacies? I almost stutter on the word. He couldn't, he couldn't speak. He stuttered. So he's like, I'm not going to do it. Listen, we will always think of excuses. I don't remember how old I was, but it's, I have vague memories of going to a speech therapist when I was little. I despise public speaking. I can remember being a teenager and thinking, maybe God's calling me to be a pastor as long as I don't have to give sermons. <laughs> You're like, that's kind of a problem. It's kind of a problem. That's part of the job. I guarantee you, we are natural excuse makers. We'll make an excuse for anything and everything. I will. Are you able to see that people are stuck. People are addicted. People are enslaved to things. People are enslaved to all kinds of things that are hurtful. Can you help them have a vision of what life could be if Jesus was at the center of their lives? Step one, only the inadequate are adequate. Step two, be able to have a vision of what the future could look like. Step three, everyone has a role. Jesus doesn't call Peter or James or John to this task. They all have a responsibility. The 12 disciples have ministry roles of responsibility. Again, back to the life of Moses. Moses chapter 18 is confronted by his father-in-law for doing everything. Moses' father-in-law says to him, you need to share the weight of responsibility. He says, chapter 18, verse 7 says, what you are doing is not good to Moses. He says, you need to delegate responsibility. Everyone has a role. This is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Could Jesus have fed the 5,000 by himself? Of course he could have done some magic bread and fish dust and everyone's full and happy. But he involves the disciples he says, you have a role. And in the same way, we all have a role as well. Step four, last one, is perseverance. That we can't give up on people. That you can't give up on one another. As we sang this morning, even if you can't see it, even if you can't feel it, God is still working know that. Hold on to that. Wives, know that about your husbands. God is still working with them. Husbands, know that about your wives. Parents, know that about your children. 
Have perseverance that we can't quit and give up on people because they are not growing at the speed you think they should grow. Everyone is tempted to quit. People to, to just give up, throw in the towel. But one thing we see clearly in the New Testament is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the New Testament church, people persevere. That there is a renewing work of God's Spirit in our lives to not give up on people. So we learn to see what Jesus sees, to be people of compassion. We see that Jesus calls us to do things, to be active in caring for people, to be aware that we'll all make excuses, but there is a way forward to care for people. And then last, we see and do depending fully on God, never on our own strength, Never independent of God. And look what Jesus does. Um, verse 39. So he commands all the people to sit down in groups on the grass. So at, they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said this. He's going to look up into heaven and say a prayer. He's going to say a blessing. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And Jesus is showing us here that how we do life, how we do marriage, how we do family, how we do church, how we, how we do neighborly type things, we do it by looking up in prayer and asking for God's help. That we never do it independently we always do it fully trusting and relying on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is a call upon all of our lives when we look at this story, this well-known familiar story, to be people who care for one another, to people who care for people in your neighborhood and our community, to be aware, to have compassion, to have understanding, to not be critical, to be people of action. We said that in the very beginning that Jesus is teaching us to be his followers by looking and learning with the routine of life. There's nothing more routine in life than having a meal. And it was this occasion that Jesus teaches this profound lesson that we are to be called people of compassion. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that that your Holy Spirit would allow these truths to go deep into our hearts, into our lives. That there would be a growing within us to see the world around us with compassionate hearts. To see people that we would not normally like or affiliate with, that we would be critical of, that we would see them with compassion. I pray also that you would Help us to not stay there, but to be active. Father, we confess we need you to grow within us a love for our neighbors, love for one another. We ask you to grow that within us as we look to your son, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.